Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Julie Cotino, who is CEO of Brand Twist. Today we will discuss how to twist your brand and grow your business. Julie is also founder of Brand Twist and Brand School Online, a branding program for entrepreneurs, nonprofits, and small businesses. Prior to founding her company, Julie spent five years as Vice President of Brand for Virgin North America and worked closely with Sir Richard Branson and at Interbrand and Gray Global. She is the author of Twist, How Fresh Perspectives Build Breakthrough Brands, published this year. She has been an adjunct professor of marketing at Cornell and Columbia Universities. Her own life has been filled with twists, which have taken her from her hometown of Boston to the University of Pennsylvania and then from New York to Paris and back again. She lives in the Hudson Valley with her French husband and two wonderful children. Julie, welcome. Thanks so much, Lena. Let's go really back to basics for a second as a refresher for all of us. What are we thinking? How are we defining the term brand? What exactly is a brand? Such a great question, and there's so much confusion about it. And uh, for me, a brand is a story. It's a story really well told when we do it right. Uh, The biggest misconception is that a brand is just your logo or your tagline or your website, and those are important elements, but the real power brand is much deeper than that. It's the experience that you're creating. It's the relationship. When we say twist, what are we referring to? So if we think about a brand as a story that you're telling your audience that you want to, you know, get them to want to listen to, to engage with, to feel empowered by, then most great stories have a twist. You know, they have something fresh, something unexpected. So that's the first meaning of twist. The second meaning is actually uh, what's unique to my approach and how I came up with the idea of twist, which is to look outside of your category, to stop worrying about what your competition is doing, and to look at brands that inspire you and twist those lessons with your own brand. Would you give us an example? Sure. Maybe I could tell you the the sort of epiphany that I had that uh, helped me create the idea of Twist. Um, This is a true story. It happened in my own life in uh, 2002. And I was uh, traveling for business, like many of us do. Uh, I was working as a brand consultant. And even though I was excited to go visit the client I was going to see, the process of business travel itself, I find really uninspiring. You know, the long lines, the me-too approaches of most of the airlines. In fact, I had to keep looking down at my boarding pass to remember, you know, what flight I was getting on and even what airline. And all of a sudden, I was stopped in my tracks by uh, an image of a 747 on the tarmac with McDonald's Golden Arches on the tail fin. And in that moment, I thought to myself, well, this is an airline that has something unique about it. And I started to imagine what that airline experience would be like. I thought, you know, not so much I thought that they would have McNuggets on board, (laughs) but I thought more, you know, this would be an airline that would be 
brightly colored, a real friendly attitude to service. Maybe uh, the options of the flight would be presented in a much clearer kind of menu style. You know, maybe I could get on board and realize that it was more crowded than I thought and supersize my economy seat to a business seat. So I started to get actually really excited about investigating this airline, this McDonald's airline. And that's when I realized that it was actually a mirage. It was a figment of my imagination. It was the um, reflection of the neon sign from the food court on a window, and there happened to be an airplane parked. So if you can kind of envision that, it was sort of this multi-leveled mirage. But in that moment, I was more excited about that imaginary airline than the real one that I was supposed to be boarding. And so that really was the birth of the twist. I started in my practice. I was then working at um, Interbrand. I went back to the agency the next day and said, you know, we're going to go into clients and do brainstorming sessions around brand ideas and naming and design. Let's not talk about the competitive set because that's really not going to get us anywhere. Chances are the competitors are using the same words and images and ideas that we're already thinking about. Let's reach further out to brands that have nothing to do with the client that we're working on, but that are just providing those really great brand experiences and twist with that idea. Does this concept that we're talking about, twisting your brand and growing your business, does it apply across the board regardless of the industry and regardless of the size of company, or are there limitations to how you can apply it? No, I think that's the beauty of it. I've done it with very large Fortune 100 companies. I've done it with small businesses, nonprofits, internal marketing groups. And if you follow the basic principles, honestly, it, it always works. I really haven't seen any limitations. I think the only limitation would be, you know, if you had a, a food business, for example, I wouldn't, or a restaurant or, a, you know, a, a food product, I wouldn't twist with whole foods. You know, it, it, I would twist then with... Virgin or Ikea or Apple, you know, brand outside of your category. But the further away you move from the category and the more that you're twisting with a brand that you're just excited about, you know, you've got to twist with brands that you love. You know, if you're not a fan of Apple, don't twist with them. But if you are, then, then go for it um, because that's going to yield the best results. What do you mean when you say not to twist with whole foods? You mean whole foods as a store or you mean foods as in produce and vegetables? No, I mean, I mean whole foods, the brand. So, you know, for example, if I were a dry cleaner and uh, I, I knew that I wanted to stand out more in my market, maybe my budgets were limited, um, but I was looking for something fresh. You know, chances are if I looked just up and down the street at the other dry cleaners, they're pretty much doing things the way that I'm doing them. But if I was a fan of Starbucks, which I am, and I'm sure many of your listeners are, then the first thing I would do would be to immerse myself in the Starbucks brand experience, figure out what works there. You know, it's not, again, the name and the logo, but it's what they stand for, this idea of community, uh, how they have their own 
language, you know, with the tall grande vente, how they make business people comfortable. They have baristas. Um, and in particular, how they seem to celebrate seasonal specials. You know, right now, a lot of people are excited about the pumpkin latte, for example. So I would take all these brand experience lessons, go back to my dry cleaning and say, how can I get more loyalty and excitement like Starbucks does? And one thing I might decide to do, for example, is say, say it's summer and I might want to celebrate and have my customers know that there are special things about the summer. So maybe I offer a big menu board, and when people are dropping off their dry cleaning, they could actually order an extra shot of bleach for their summer dry cleaning so that it could be brighter and whiter. And then maybe I do something different in the winter, you know, an extra drop of softener or shot, if I wanted to take the, you know, espresso analogy, an extra shot of softener to make my, you know, cashmere sweaters that I'm dry cleaning feel even warmer and cozier. How do you know which concepts will translate well? For example, in the, ex in, in the example that you're sharing with us about the translation from Starbucks to a dry cleaners, how do you know if customers taking in their clothes in for dry cleaning will be responsive to the branding that you're looking at from a coffee shop? Is there some formula that helps you figure out which is a good match? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, first of all, it has to be a brand that's out there and doing well. So, you know, you look at a brand like Starbucks, and I think they've proven themselves to be a brand that's attracting a lot of people and a lot of very strong passion. Um, so I would say it's a very strong brand. Secondly, it's a brand that is outside of my category in the dry cleaning example, so I know it's going to give me fresh ideas. And third, I think you never really know if an idea is going to work until you try it. And that's something that I learned uh, from Richard Branson was this idea of living in beta, you know, perpetually being trying new ideas. Um, and if you fail, that's okay. You just need to learn from your failure. So if that idea doesn't work, uh, then figure out, well, why not, and trying something new. And I think in that example, the risk of doing everything the same way and just, you know, maybe competing on price and just constantly lowering your prices because you don't really have anything differentiated, you don't have a twist, in my opinion, is far greater than coming up with new ideas and trying it. You know, you could do that special for a week or two and see if people um, react to it. And if they don't, then you try something new. Many of the firms today certainly in the United States, the backbone in many places at the national level are small businesses. And these concepts of trying something new for their branding might be limited by their budget in terms of time and money. So something like that can be a big risk. Actually, I don't think so because um, most of my clients and students in my brand school are small businesses. And the beauty of twisting is that you don't have to make huge investments in infrastructure or production. You just have to become aware of brands that are already have proven their success in the marketplace and have the mindset to try new things. 
So, you know, you can, uh, next time you go into a client meeting, try a new idea. You can include it in an email or a blog post. You can do a, a weekly special. And specifically when you use social media to try out a lot of these ideas, there's very little risk. It's not like you're filming a, you know, 30-second television commercial. And I think that small businesses need a twist more than large businesses because large businesses have the resources to just keep throwing different campaigns out there and spending a lot of money and getting noticed. Uh, most small businesses have to compete with a lot less. And when you find your twist, when you create something really interesting and get it out there through word of mouth or through social media, then you can stand out from your competitors. And I've seen time and time again that you, you do get noticed. And you also have a much clearer understanding of who you are, what your brand is, and what you're willing to try. Uh, and that makes the decisions that you have to make as a small business owner easier to make, uh, more efficient, and quicker. You know, when I worked on the Virgin brands, Virgin never spent the most in any category. You know, Virgin Airlines spent far, far less than most of its competitors. But the advertising and the promotions and even the product experience uh, always had a twist. So, for example, on Virgin America, there's this lighting in the cabin that is uh, purple, and it's got these mood colors that change as you fly from New York to California, for example. That lighting is noticed by everybody who gets on the plane. They take a picture with their cell phone. They tweet it out. All airplanes have to have lighting. So it wasn't actually uh, a significant uptick in spending. It was just being choiceful. It was saying, you know, we're going to question why a lighting on an aircraft has to be, you know, that, that terrible uh, neon fluorescent color that makes you feel like you're going to get your appendix out. We're just going to be choiceful to add a twist. We're going to think maybe more like Apple, who uses color and form and function in a really interesting way and create something that's unique uh, on our airplane. And the passengers who are taking the pictures and tweeting them out, uh, oftentimes from the airplane because Virgin has Wi-Fi on its airplane, they're then becoming the ad budget. They're becoming the brand ambassadors that are promoting the airline. How do you define your twist? Well, um, you know, it, it does take work and it does take time, and this is something that I write uh, about in the book, but the first thing you have to figure out is who do you really want to serve? You know, what is it, uh, who is your target market, and what are they disappointed with or feeling that they need another option? What's keeping them up at night? And we do that by creating a target avatar. So you don't just say, my target is women 25 to 54, for example. You know, you say her name is Beth and she's 38 and, you know, this is what's keeping her up in relation to your category but also in her family situation. And you really start to understand her as a person. So you answer the first question, which is who. And then you start to think uh, about what you can promise her. What is your brand promise? And the most important thing there is not to just promise her, um, let's say you were a sneaker company. You don't, you don't want to just promise her different materials and 
fabrics and types of sneakers because that's really hard to compete with. You want to do something like Nike is doing where you promise a more emotional benefit of just do it. And so what we do with the twist is we find at a first pass a general promise, but a lot of times for people those brand promises are pretty undifferentiated. You know, they end up being things like confidence or empowerment or peace of mind. And then we twist them with brands outside of our client and students category to get some fresh language. So we answer the who, and then we answer the what, and then we answer the third question, which is the why. And the why is, why should you believe me? And that's where you can also bring in your own personal twist. You know, maybe there's something in your background or in the founding of your company, or it could also be your point of view twist. You know, what are you reacting to? How is your business different than your competitors to? Uh, or your process twist. How is working with you different than the competitors? But all along, we're sort of operating one foot in our business and another foot looking at other brands for inspiration. So the four steps are... Let's start with questions, if I'm following you correctly. Who is your target audience? This was the avatar that you were talking about. Yes. What is it that they're looking for that you can offer them different from everybody else? Why they should trust you and how you can reach them? Am I getting this correctly? Yeah, exactly, and I hadn't mentioned the how. So once you finish your brand framework, once you're clear on your who, what, and why, and you've made sure that those questions are answered with a twist, then you begin the how. And the how is uh, how to go to market. And that's things like what should your name and your website be? What colors are you going to use? What does your logo look like? Um, And one of the mistakes that I see is a lot of particularly new businesses, they go right to wanting to create a website, for example, but they haven't done the fundamental work of figuring out their who, what, and why and answering those questions with a twist. So they end up using a template for a website. Uh, They end up using stock photography and sort of in their attempts to look legitimate as a newcomer, they end up from day one looking and sounding exactly the same as all the competition. And that, in my opinion, is a waste of marketing money. You know, you'd be better off not spending any money than creating a website that absolutely has no twist. What is the secret, if you will, to finding your twist? It sounds very intuitive, but I think for a lot of people, when they sit down to figure out what their twist is, they may get sort of stumped or stuck because if you ask a lot of people, for example, who is your target audience? This is one of my favorite questions. Their answer very often is, well, everybody. I want everybody to be my customer. I have the perfect product or the perfect service. And a lot of people have difficulty in establishing this target segment that you're referring to, this avatar. How do you go to that place where you identify, for example, your ideal customer, or at least your primary target audience? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's a very common mistake. But I would say when people say, I want everybody to come, what ends up happening, I want everybody to feel welcome in my business, is that they have such vague and broad marketing that they don't connect with anybody, you know. So you'll you'll say things like, "Do you want to lose weight? You know, do you want better accounting services? Do you uh, 
um, you know, do you want, um, I don't know, um, financial planning that you can count on? And, and no one's going to disagree with those questions, but no one's either going to pick up the phone and rush in to see you. So it's hard work. We do uh, spend quite a bit of time on brand school on this, and we talk about it a lot in the book. There's a whole chapter to picking your target. But the first thing you have to do is really think about, uh, for example, if you're a business that's been in, a while, in business for a while, who of all the customers you have are the ones that you felt that really you served the best? You know, meaning um, that they you, you had you enjoyed working with them because life's too short to work with anybody who gives you a stomach ache. <laughs> you, know, you enjoy working with them. They got a lot of value. Um, they really understood what you were trying to promote. And in a lot of cases, they became your brand ambassadors. They referred clients to you and really have the kind of courage to narrow down what exactly uh, – it was about those people and who were they. And so when we do our avatars, we often base them on real people. It could be a combination of different clients that you've served and you kind of combine them into one person. It could be the client that got away, but, you know, while they were sitting in front of you, you thought, oh, I could really help this person, but for whatever reason you weren't able to really connect. Um, but any any strong brand uh, needs to have a clearly defined target. I mean, that that's, uh, to me, you know, not something that's even in question. I think it's just having the wherewithal to force yourself to focus and to be comfortable with the fact that there may be some people that, you know, aren't attracted by your message, but that's okay. You know, when I was working on Virgin, there were people who, um, you know, didn't like the cheeky tone of the advertising or didn't like to be on a plane with different color lights or, um, you know, a slightly a very different uh, plane experience or might have even be offended, you know, by the advertising. I mean, we said things like at Virgin Atlantic, um, you know, we had an ad that talked about nine inches of pleasure, you know, which for some people might feel too sexual and too much of a turnoff, but it was actually about the leg room, um, you know, the extra nine inches <laughs> that was part of the leg room. And for the right person who's really going to like that, um, then they're really going to enjoy the experience because the whole flight experience, you know, was very cheeky and fun. And if they don't enjoy that, then they have other options. You know, there are many more traditional airlines, and they're probably not going to enjoy the whole flight. But if they did enjoy it, chances are they were going to get uh, done with their flight and tweet about it and talk to their friends over dinner about it and just rave about how different the experience was. So, you know, people tend to travel in tribes. Uh, we tend to be friends with uh, people who have similar values. So one of the beauties of really going narrow in your target is you create these deep connections, and then those people help you with your marketing. They become their brand, the brand ambassadors because they use Yelp and TripAdvisor and Facebook and face-to-face -face conversations and speak on behalf of your brand for you. Are you your brand? Yeah, I, th I think you are in a lot of instances. I mean, we also teach about personal branding uh, in brand school, and I write about it in, in my book, Twist, um, particularly if you have a small business. 
You know, I think if you have a small business, people um, have already made the decision, if you're in their consideration set, that they don't want to work with an anonymous corporation, that they want to feel a more authentic human touch. And so I think you have an obligation to let them know more about you. Um, I can give you an example from a recent brand school graduate who is a kitchen designer, and she uh, has a high-end kitchen designing company. She's done very well for herself, but she felt after a while that there was more and more competition. It was harder for her to stand out and to attract new clients. So she went through brand school, and we tried to hone in on her twist. And one day we were having a conversation about her homework, and she was getting a little frustrated because it's, it's not easy work. And to change the subject, I asked her what she had done that weekend, and she said that she had gone to a ballroom dancing competition. She's an amateur ballroom dancer. And I said, well, why aren't you talking about that in your branding, you know, on your website? And she said, well, I don't think that ballroom dancing really has anything to do with kitchen design. And I said, well, wait a minute, let's explore this, you know. And if you were a ballroom dancer, I didn't know her very, very well at that point, but I said, I assume that you're graceful and flexible and disciplined and you pay attention to flow and movement. These are all the things that I associate with dance. And by the way, they're all the things that I would love to have as a kitchen designer. Uh, And she's since uh, rebranded under the concept, under the twist of kitchen choreography. Is that something that works for many hobbies, let's say, because in this case the ballroom dancing, of course, is a hobby for her. Perhaps you have to be more discerning for other hobbies that may not relate more directly to your brand. Where do you draw the line? Well, I think they have to relate, but I think it's not so much drawing a line. I think it's more about uh, being open-minded to the possibility of exploring those um, those overlaps. You know, I had another uh, student who was um, a trapeze uh, fan. You know, she's an amateur. She's, she's a um, website designer, but in every spare moment, she's an amateur trapezist. And again, same thing. She didn't think those two things had anything to do with each other. But when we did some exploration, uh, we found a fit. And the fit was, you know, that she's fearless and she's flexible and she's all about partnership. Because if you're letting go of a trapeze bar for somebody else to catch you, <laughs> you know, you have to be pretty um, invested in the idea of working together closely with someone. And she's since rebranded as um, Big Top Design Services. I, you know, I had another student who was a financial planner, and in her spare time, she was a yoga instructor. And again, she didn't feel like those things had anything to do with each other. But in further exploration, you know, as a yoga instructor, she's centered and she's disciplined and she believes in purpose and purposefulness. And now she's decided not to work with every wealthy person out there that wants to invest, but to self-select her crowd to be people who have a relationship with their money where they want to do uh, investing where they know that the money is going somewhere 
uh, to either a B company or a company that they can believe in. And so in each of these instances, um, I think what was common was that the, it wasn't just a hobby. It was really central to who each of these people are. Um, and so it was a real true deep passion. You know, if it's just a hobby that you engage in every once in a while, then it might not be the foundation of your twist. But it's worth exploring if it's something that you're deeply passionate about, particularly if you're a small business owner, because it's hard to separate our personal and professional lives. And I don't think we always have to. You know, in my own case, um, when I teach, I bring in a lot of examples. I'm a working mom. I have two teenagers. And my approach to branding um, is very passionate, but I also love to use real-world examples. So I talk about my kids and the brands that they're interested in a lot. And if you don't like that, then you shouldn't work with me because I'm not going to suppress who I am. But thankfully for me, there are enough people that really love that um, use of examples. And so, uh, so that works. That's become part of my twist. So bringing your personal style and your passions into your business branding helps to separate you from everybody else. Is that the underlying concept behind the twist in a way? Exactly. Exactly. As long as it's something authentic to you. But, you know, Richard Branson is a good example. He... Um, you know, he and his personal brand likes to shake things up. He's tried to set records where he's crossed the Atlantic in a hot air balloon. He likes to kite surf. He, you know, he loves adventure. But that really is supportive of the Virgin brand because the Virgin brand is also shaking things up, um, you know, in the markets in which it operates. And so as long as it's done with authenticity and you can find a way that it's positive attributes that, that work. Um, I see it working a lot. And it, it, it can also, it doesn't have to just be your passion. It can also be part of your background, you know, sharing enough of where you come from in life. What if, you know, what's your own personal path to your business? And, and not just your successes, but also sharing your failures. You know, I think as long as you've learned from things that have happened in your life that maybe haven't gone as well, um, then you can use those as a way to connect with people on an authentic level and to show them that you really understand their issues and challenges and you're the right person to help them. How do you manage that in a field that's highly saturated? You know, for example, you talked about Starbucks, and they clearly managed to do that when they started in the market that already was saturated with coffee sellers so how do you set yourself aside in a, in an oversaturated market whether it's coffee or for example in the book space this is something that you've done recently there are so many books about marketing and branding and positioning yourself in the market what is is are there secrets to this within the twist that we can zero in on? Yeah, I think it's even more important, again, in saturated markets because it's harder to to stand out. You know, if you're – I have a lot of clients at Brand School who are health coaches and uh, financial planners and um, – 
you know, marketing executives. Actually, I have a lot of marketing people who are great at finding the twist for their own clients. Um, but when we do it for ourselves, it's so much harder. So there's, um, you know, there's a practice that I call triple A twisting in the book. And I think this is the first thing to really do. Um, and the first A in the AAA twisting is just to start to become aware. You know, become aware of brands that you just connect with. You know, maybe you're at the mall and you're, you know, you have a great experience in one store or you're out for at a restaurant or you see, you know, celebrities or brands. You know, you see uh, somebody who you just really love their message. So you want to start, and in brand school we actually have these notebooks, but in the book also, in the back pages, there's space for taking notes in the last, like, 10 pages. So you want to, number one, become aware of great brand experiences. And that's a muscle that we can all build. It's just a question of learning how to exercise it. The second A is to analyze what it is about that particular um, experience that you're reacting so positively to. You know, what exactly is happening? So, for example, if I'm in the Apple store and I'm having a good experience, analyzing what it is. And, and for me, one of the things that I love about the Apple store is the employees don't feel like they're selling. They feel like they're just people who use the products on their own um, and are just really, really well educated about them. And the interaction that I have with them and the advice that I'm getting isn't broken when it comes time to purchase because they're able to um, take care of my uh, checking me out with a handheld device uh, right there. I don't have to break that relationship and then go wait in line to check out at a, at a traditional, you know, checkout counter. So analyze what it is that you um, are loving and that you're responding positive to. That's the second A. And then the third A is to apply those best practices to your brand. So, you know, in that case, you might say, well, how can I, uh, even if you're in a completely different business, you know, if one of the things is empowering your salespeople to have more leeway or to have a way to continue the relationship to checkout, that might be something that you want to apply to your own business. So become aware, analyze, and apply is what we call AAA twisting. How do you address the twisting when your product is complex versus something straightforward like a widget or a cup of coffee, say a medical service or a consulting service? Any concept that is more than just a straightforward buy and sell transaction is going to require a more complex type of branding, I think. How do you approach that situation? Well, I think first by trying to simplify it. I mean, I, I think a lot of businesses, and I've worked with a lot of B2B companies in a lot of complex categories, they overcomplicate things. Um, I think they use language often that's um, what I call in the book $10 words versus $5 words. They end up using a lot of jargon. So I think looking at other businesses who have achieved simplicity and trying to figure out what you can, again, you know, become aware of, uh, analyze and apply to your own business. So a lot of times it might be, you know, let's say you have a very complex uh, medical product or, or experience and you want to 
uh, simplify it, you know, you might look at a brand like IKEA, um, how they create step-by-step instructions and how they show their products. Uh, when you go to an IKEA store, they're actually shown in use a lot or in a catalog. They don't just show you the furniture. They show family around it, and they show how those products really impact people's lives. So you can look at brands that um, – that either specialize in simplicity or have taken complicated things and made them simple. Um, I think IBM Watson is a great example. Um, You know, there's probably nothing more complicated than cognitive learning, but I think in their branding, they've done a great job of making that cognitive learning real. You know, they, they have Serena Williams talking to Watson about how she learns um, from cognitive learning, how to keep improving her tennis game. And so they make it very tangible and real. And I think that's a great um, brand to look at and twist with for your own business. What about books? If you're an author of a fiction book, which is a relatively complicated concept to distill the idea of a fiction title into two or three sentences, which is most of the time all that you're going to get is for someone to look at your cover and the brief description of your book. What do you do to get through all the clutter, or of a nonfiction book for that matter? Yeah, well, I mean, in my own case, with my own nonfiction book, um, you know, I, I don't really think books are a very complicated category. I think you're you're very right, though, that it's a very crowded category. So how do you stand out? Um, you know, in my own case, um, in my book and in my branding in general, I use the color purple. Um, and I think in my category, that stands out because a lot of branding books are um, – you know, very sedate and gray and maybe a little touch of red or blue in the titles. Um, So I have a very bright, vibrant color to my book, and I think that's a lesson that I learned um, from a brand like Tiffany's. You know, when you look at a brand like Tiffany's, they own that color blue, uh, and it really stands out in the category, and it creates anticipation of wanting to open that box, you know, or in my case, open the book. Or a brand like... um, Starbucks, which over time has gone from Starbucks coffee to just Starbucks to its most recent logo that just has the mermaid and no name on it at all. And so how could you have a very iconic symbol on your book cover that's going to get people to want to open it up and take a read? So those concepts are more of a an image concept in terms of the color that you used and the Starbucks logo as opposed to the twist or are both of these so interlocked as to be the twist itself? Well, color can be a twist. You know, that gets us to the how question, right, that we talked about before. So using different colors and symbols to stand out can definitely be a twist. Um, In the case of my own book, uh, what I also did was I looked at You know, it all starts, first of all, with looking at your category. And one of the things that we do in the beginning of brand school and the beginning of any of my corporate assignments is we we try to take off our brand blinders. And the way that we do this is we first acknowledge what are the common 
overused themes in a category. And a great way to do this is to print out your website and maybe the website of, you know, two or three of your closest competitors and actually black out with a mar- with a marker your name and your logo. And then be very honest about yourself when you look at them all laid out on the table, for example. Is everybody using the same color? Is everybody using the same words and headlines? Is everybody using the same images? If they are, then to me that's very clear that you, you're in a category that's really ripe for a twist. So when I wrote my book and when I started my consulting practice, I looked at what was out there. And, uh, you know, what I thought was sort of missing, particularly for small business owners, and um, I thought that there was a lot of branding advice out there, but you didn't really know how to make it actionable. And so I looked in my own, you know, followed my own advice, and I said, all right, I'm going to look out of my category at a brand that I think is very actionable, very accessible. And I looked at Rachel Ray, the, uh, you know, the chef, and uh it's kind of ironic because I don't cook at all. I'm fortunate enough to be married to a Frenchman who's a fabulous cook. But I always admired Rachel Ray as a brand because I think, you know, in her magazine every day with Rachel Ray and her TV show, she has an approach to teaching people how to cook that I really admire. You know, she'll say things like the recipe calls for shallots, but if you don't have shallots, you know, just use onions. The important thing is that you get the recipe made. And so I twisted that concept with my own business, and both my class and my book is very uh, interactive and not about perfection. Uh, it's really about just trying things and learning. And so I have exercises in the book. I have space for the notes. I use a lot of real-world case studies of former students of mine so that people feel, hey, I can do this. You know, as Rachel would say, you know, you can make that recipe. It might not be perfect the first time. It might not be a, you know, uh, a Pinterest-worthy shot of your souffle. But if it tastes good and you're proud of it and it feeds your family and, you know, you make it a little bit better the next time, then you're on your way to to being a, a great cook. And, that, and that's how I feel about branding. So twisting isn't just something you do when you're establishing your brand. Twisting is something that is ongoing as you do business. Is that right? Exactly right. Exactly right. We all have to keep constantly refreshing and learning because, our, you know, the markets change, technology changes. And, and frankly, I think that's what keeps it more interesting. You know, a lot of my students, we uh, and in my my blog on uh, brandtwist.com, we have this thing called Twisting Tuesdays. And every Tuesday, we feature another brand that we feel has done something interesting that has a twist that's broken out of its category. And we, you know, we use that example as a way to um, apply it to our own brands to get a bit of inspiration. How do you measure the success of your twisting? Well, that's a great question. I mean, many of my my clients who are small businesses, you know, they say um, they know that they're onto something uh, when they're getting more customers into their pipeline. They have more confidence uh, getting up in front of people and speaking. So, for example, if they're at a networking event and 
that, you know, when you go around the room and introduce your company used to be something that terrified them. And then they're suddenly able to communicate their, for example, their kitchen choreography twist um, with confidence. And then more people are going to come up to them afterwards and ask for a business card or, you know, book a consultation. So I think it's about, um, you know, feeling that you have more confidence, your materials look better. But the thing that I'm most uh, actually pleased about is really uh, 90% of my graduate students say that they end up raising their prices after brand school because, uh, they have more confidence and clarity on their target market, on their promise, on their twist, and they're able to connect with the right people, and they're not charging prices that are exorbitant or more than their value, but they're actually finally able to claim their real value. And that's an important aspect for small businesses because for most small businesses, it's very difficult to compete on price. If they're competing with larger companies, then they have to differentiate themselves in ways that are not price-driven because they don't have the same economy to scale. Is that right? Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's where, you know, people like to do business with other people. And that's where your personal twist can come in. That's where, you know, don't underestimate the power of making somebody laugh. Um, that's where those moments of magic come in. You know, one one aspect that we haven't talked about is uh, what I call in the book your, your vomit bag moments. And I know that might sound a little strange, but, um, you know, when I worked with Virgin Atlantic, they took their air sickness bags, which are a requirement, actually, from the FAA. Every seat, every flight, you know, you have to have them. And, and normally they're white and they're plain and they're, they're kind of a wasted moment. But they took them and made them red and printed this story on them about uh, air travel. You know, how, when did air travel used to be, become so awful? You know, first they took away the blankets and then the peanuts, all seven of them. And they, they wrap up the story in the end uh, as a way of saying, uh, you know, on Virgin Atlantic, flying will always feel new again. And uh, I love that example because that's something, it, it, you know, to your question before, it doesn't cost any more money. You have to have those bags, um, but you can use them as a branded, twisted touch point. Uh, another great example is what Snapple has done. You know, you have to have a cap on a bottle of iced tea. You know, there's no way around it. But what they've done is use that twist that moment of putting a uh, message or a fun fact under the cap as a way to have a brand experience that feels fresher and different. And, and now people look forward to those. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, my kids are always like, oh, did I get this one before? You know, they pass them around. It, it's part of what drives you to to want to buy a Snapple. And so what I challenge my students and clients to think about is what is your vomit bag moment? What is your Snapple cap? You know, it could be an invoice. It could be a packing slip. It could be um, an email signature. It could be, uh, you know, this time of year people are probably thinking, what am I going to send my clients uh, for the holidays or, or what do I send referrals to thank them? You know, don't send them a bottle of wine or a box of chocolate that's just like everybody else. You know, spend a little more time thinking about what you could send that would be reflective of your twist. 
So, you know, last year, for example, I sent, because my colors are pink and purple twisted, I sent pink and purple argyle socks to all my clients. Really didn't cost me a lot of money. Uh, and But I wrote them with a little note that said, you know, I hope 2016 knocks your socks off. And I actually got thank you notes back from clients that, that said this is so on brand, that, you know, this has got such a great twist thanking me for my thank you gift, you know, which was a great place to be in. And again, it cost me a lot less than a bottle of wine would have cost. And how do you know if it's successful? Well, in that particular instance, I mean, I I had people uh, taking pictures of their socks and sending them to me. You know, I had uh, clients uh, send me emails. You know, I I think you get feedback, you know, whereas when I worked for big companies and we sent things out, we never heard back, Uh, you know, and and in fact, I know for a fact that a lot of the the untwisted gifts just get put in, you know, they get put in the break room or the kitchen, you know, there's bottles and bottles of wine, go ahead and take one. So you're not really making that connection. What about that concept that they say that any news is good news as long as it draws attention to you? Do you think that's true if you're twisting and it's drawing your client's attention, but not necessarily in a positive way? Is it still accomplishing your twisting branding goal? I don't think so because I I think, again, brands are relationships and, you know, there'll be moments uh, in a relationship that aren't as great as others. But I think in general, you really want to strive for those to be positive moments that, that reinforce uh, a strong message. You talk about triggers in your book. I think it's uh, chapter four. You say that you should twist with triggers. What are you referring to? You know, what is it that is going to get your customer to act. You know, I think the the biggest thing that uh, we're all competing against, sometimes it's competition, but sometimes it's just complacency. So figuring out what are those things that mean enough to your target by doing the, the who exercise, by creating the avatar, where you can say, this is really what's going to, this is a moment that feels very real, that's a trigger for them, that's going to get them to pay attention and to act. So, for example, in my own business, you know, sometimes instead of I'll say, um, you know, instead of in general, do you want to have a stronger brand, you know, I'll actually take them to a moment. I said, have you ever been at a networking event and it's your time to, uh, you know, to introduce your company and you just don't know what to say and you want to hide, you know, you want to run to the bathroom. You know, that's a that's a trigger moment. Or, you know, have you ever handed out your business card and just been embarrassed um, because it, it looked so unprofessional? Uh, that's a trigger moment. Or have you ever had somebody in front of you who just knew that they were the right target, but for whatever reason they say, you know, I love your business, I love what you're doing, but they don't sign up. They don't become a client. They don't take that step. And so when you bring people back to those trigger moments, and explore what you could have done differently, how a twist would have helped, then you're more apt to not just catch their attention but get them to to become a client or a customer. It can be difficult to sit in in your shoes, be in your shoes, and know whether you have these trigger moments sometimes and know whether your branding is working well whether you're getting feedback or not, or if you're getting the kind of feedback that you should be getting. 
how can you tell is there a tool is there a test that you can give yourself are there questions that you can ask your colleagues um, if you're starting a new business or your clients if you have an existing business how do you know um, I know that you have a healthy brand session I think that you offer would you tell us about that Sure, I have something called a brand health check, and what this is is it's a strategy session where um, you fill out an application, and uh, if you know we we try to talk to as many people as we can if we feel like they have a branding issue that we can help with. Um, what we'll do is we'll look at the application, and in it we ask you to list your website or a link to your LinkedIn page, um, and what we'll do is we'll look at your brand and give you some specific feedback about how we think it could be healthier, you know, whether we think your who is clear or your what is clear or your why is clear um, or if there are issues about the how. We'll give you some immediate feedback and advice, and then uh, we'll also talk to you about other resources, like maybe you might be a good candidate for brand school or private coaching or one of the other programs that we have. So it's a it's a very valuable we you know when we we do them sometimes and, and charge for them they're three hundred fifty dollars for the hour um, but we we love to offer uh, particular to our media partners uh, like you people who featured us we'd love to offer them to your listeners for free. So for HispanicNPR.com listeners of this podcast they can take advantage of that opportunity? Yeah, we would love them to. They just have to go to brandschoolonline.com, and right in the middle of the website it says uh, apply for a free brand health check, and they'll be routed to a survey to fill out, and they should definitely mention hispanicnpr.com, and we'll, we'll try to put those to the, to the top of the pile and, and talk to as many people as we can. Um, also encourage people to um, to pick up the book because that does also give you some questions you can ask yourself about how healthy your brand is. And, you know, I would say also that um, one of the ways that you can tell if you are connecting with your target or how your twist is coming through is just not to be precious about it. Just talk about it all the time to everybody you can. You know, don't worry. Don't work it out till it's absolutely perfect and create a new website. You know, put it in your next um, email to a prospective client. You know, talk about it to your... <laughs> for me, I talked about it to my hairdresser, who's uh, also on the side, you know, creating her own business. Um, and look for that lean forward effect. You know, do people want to hear more? Are they intrigued? They Do they... You know, do their eyes light up? Um, you know, do they do they get back to you with questions if you're doing it through email and see? Uh, you know, tell them enough to get them interested. Don't tell them so much up front that you're going to overwhelm them, and see if they're leaning in and want to hear more. To summarize the invite that you've extended to our listeners, they can go to. Let me make sure I've got the website address correct, brandschoolonline.com. Yes, and um, they will see an application for a brand health check. And also, if they, uh, if they join our mailing list, if they're, friend, if they're fans of uh, 
Richard Branson. They can also get a free download, which is a brand like a billionaire. Five lessons I learned from Richard Branson, which is just a sort of a fun, a fun piece of uh, you know quick tips that they can uh, that they can learn from and apply right away to their own business. So. You know, there are multiple ways to get support from, from us. We love to have conversations with um, small businesses, large businesses. You know, we're, we're pretty passionate about it, and, you know, we feel even a little twist goes a long way. And this brand health session is complimentary, an hour-long brand health session, correct? Yes. Wonderful. Julie, what tips and suggestions would you share with our listeners in parting? Say three things as they strive to stand out from the competition that they can take away with them, that they can apply to their business, to their bottom line goals. Yeah, the first is I would say really examine your target because we are in the business, branding is in the business of solving problems. So I think you want to be really clear on who your ideal target is and not be afraid to narrow it down. I would say the uh, the second thing is to lift your head up out of your category, take off your brand blinders and start to be just observers of what we call the larger brandscape. Just start to notice brands that make you smile or make you feel good or that you're willing to pay more for and what you can learn from them. And then the third thing I would say is don't be afraid of failure. You know, I think there's a lot um, of lessons to be learned from trying things and seeing what works and what doesn't work. I think you can fail smart. I think you can fail hard. Um, you know, Richard Branson always says fail harder, meaning, you know, if you're, if you're going to try something, really go for it and use that as a learning opportunity. I think that's what makes um, life interesting. <laughs> I think that's what makes business interesting. And I think particularly for small businesses, um, you know, you can, you can do it in a way that's very manageable, you know, try it with a couple of clients. Try it on one promotion. It's it's not like a, a large business where it has to go through so many layers of approval and be such a, you know, I'm not talking about taking out a Super Bowl ad, you know, where you're going to be spending millions of dollars. I'm really just talking about constantly uh, being in the situation where you're, you're learning through trying and uh, getting feedback. Thank you, Julie, for joining us from Westchester, New York. Thanks, Elaine. I, I hope this was helpful, and I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Julie Cotino, who is CEO of Brand Twist and author of Twist, How Fresh Perspectives Build Breakthrough Brands, who discussed how to twist your brand and grow your business. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.